Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell. And I'm Timothy Plain. Each week we talk about different filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but just as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. So, this week we have yet another guest, Gavin Murray, on the show. And I should probably say, stop saying yet another guest, because we have no idea when this will air, and we don't know what will be in between these these episodes, but... uh. But yes, welcome, Gavin. Hey, guys. <laughs> welcome. Yeah. So Gavin is a DP and a filmmaker from the Bay Area. And I actually met Gavin years and years ago back at SF State, but um, in, a, in a kind of a really weird context. <laughs> um, do you want to tell a story, Gavin, or should I tell a story? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear your take on it. Oh, my take? Okay, sure, fine. Well, I'm also interested to hear your take, but I'll, I'll tell my take first. <laughs> yeah, so I was trying to be an actor for a while, and uh, I had headshots, and I was going on auditions, and I actually got some roles, and one of the auditions I went on was for Gavin's short film, The Briefcase, was it called? Yeah, I believe that was correct. The Briefcase, yeah. And so I met Gavin on an audition. I don't know if it was my first audition ever, but it was definitely like early on in my attempts to act. It was a really crazy role. It was like sort of something that like at the time I thought was really cool and that I really wanted to do, um, but I probably should have realized was not the kind of roles I should ever even try to do. It was like an Italian gangster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I did the audition and I got the role. Couldn't believe it. But yeah, how many people did you see for that role, Gavin? Oh, man, I have no idea. That was a really long time ago. <laughs> probably like five. I, I don't I don't recall. Oh, yeah. And that was the best, huh? By far. Oh, wow. By far. <laughs> Let's hear the story from Gavin's perspective now. Well, so this was all part of, uh, at State, I was part of this club called Cinema Collective, which uh, is still going. And what they tended to do usually was they'd invite like upperclassmen or recent graduates come back to come back to State and teach like the freshmen and sophomores the basics of filmmaking because it took forever to get into those classes at State. And so one year they tried to do a bunch of short films. And I think there were like six or seven that got started and uh, only two got finished and only ours actually got shown. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So you're part of an elite, uh, very small club of cinema collective <laughs> films that have actually panned out uh, more or less. Mm. But basically I had this story where I really wanted someone to push a briefcase full of money to somebody, open it up, see their eyes light up, stick their hand in and get their hand cut off by the briefcase. And that was like the only <laughs> thing I really wanted to do. And then it turned into this like seven minute, very uh, talkative I had poor Ulrich just talking for maybe like four minutes straight by himself. Uh, he's good at talking, though. <laughs> against another actor who just looked at him and passed him a briefcase. Yeah. <laughs> and I made you smoke, too. I feel so bad about that to this yeah. day. <laughs> so and did he you made drink that smoke. soy sauce water? Yeah. And so I don't know <laughs> what the deal was if I was like the only one who was 21 or something or what the or if I was even 21 or if I just was like whatever. But I really wanted to just drink alcohol. And they were like, no, you can't. Like, you yeah. have to drink the soy sauce water. And I was like, why can't I just be drinking booze? Like, this would make the cigarettes way better. And they're like, no. I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna choose to blame that on my production designer. But, uh, you know, I don't have no idea uh, how yeah. we end up at soy sauce water. But Yeah. So for... That sounds disgusting. <laughs> what was it supposed to be? Whiskey? Yeah, it was supposed to be whiskey. It's, and it was like usually six I think hours. It's, it's like apple juice. Well, yeah, they didn't know that trick. The rest trick. of us were probably about 18. 
That is so, so yeah, disgusting. For like six hours, I'm in this like tiny little like basement, like, you know, no windows, dark little basement, smoking cigarettes that I don't, I'm not a smoker. <laughs> I smoke like 20 cigarettes and I'm drinking this soy sauce water and acting uh, and trying to do an Italian accent, which I am not very good at, <laughs> to be honest. And uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty bad. But I, I just remembered the other part of the story which is really crazy. So there's a scene where I'm beating somebody up in a chair. Do you want to tell oh, the story, man. Gavin, or should I tell this part of it? I'll just come in with my ending for that one. But uh, yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> so they had they had a prop gun for me, and I'm supposed to like mime beating this guy in a chair, uh, and I actually hit him in the head with the gun, but and I crack his head open a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, like, we had in- an EMT nearby. <laughs> yeah, my roommate is a was an EMT. Uh, he's now a firefighter, but he we were able to call him, and he came over and he um, he helped patch him up and got him over to the hospital. Um, but the guy had wow. like he I think he had he needed stitches. Um, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, and to think that's the only shoot that actually got finished out of that group of like six shorts is insane. Um, yeah. Because I, I was at Monitor when that was happening too. So I didn't see or hear what had happened. All I heard was a bunch of gasps and looked over to my uh, production designer. And she looks back at me and she says, real blood is so much redder than my fake blood. And I was like, what? <laughs> and that's, that's how I found out that something had happened. <laughs> did did that take make it into the movie? I can't oh, remember. Oh yeah, of course. Like okay, good. I'm not, if someone goes oh. through that, you can't like not use it. That's just a disrespect. <laughs> so it was a good. It was a good take. So that's good. <laughs> well, it was real because I actually hit the goddamn person in the face. Yeah. He was really nice about it too, and I think oh. he didn't break character. No, he was, um, the, he was a trooper. I, but yeah. I'm pretty sure he doesn't act anymore. Um, part of the reason that I think that short got finished was just because so much had gone wrong on set that i felt like i owed it to everyone to at least hand something over to them yeah yeah you did send me a dvd eventually and i have it somewhere yeah uh so i do have my dvd copy but i mean did you ever put it online is it online for anyone to see is uh, it it's only... on youtube somewhere okay i we so should far track haven't it down. deleted or uh i just kind of use a different youtube name but they're they're out there if you look up the briefcase <laughs> it's probably like i don't want to leave too many crumbs behind well, to leave that trail but it's up there we'll probably put the link if we can okay. find Find okay, it well, on the show, <laughs> just so people can see. Um, was that your first short film, or yeah, probably? Well, I mean, I did some in high school. Uh, that was definitely my first one in college, and I'd never wanted to be a director, like ever. So <laughs> yeah. that was my version of being able to write and shoot something that I'd want to shoot. Mostly, I just wanted to play with visuals, and it was my first time playing with um, prosthetics and gore too. Why did you, if you never wanted to be a director, why did you end up directing that? It was my script, and I think they just kind of, when I put in the script, they immediately put me as director, and oh, then okay. and then brought out in a bunch of screenwriters. Wow, <laughs> it was a very interesting awesome. little system that they, we were trying to work out. Well, the last thing I'll say about it, I was really impressed because you actually had a wardrobe person fit me for wardrobe. And I was like, oh, shit, this is like the real motherfucking deal. I don't have to bring my own clothes. Damn. Like they got they got my shoe size. Like I wish my acting could be, could have been better. And I'm sorry that I um, smashed somebody's head open on your set. That's not a good look. <laughs> Bad news is because I really want to see this short. Is there's about a million short films on YouTube called The Briefcase. Uh, I'll bet. find it and send it to you guys. Okay, awesome. I can't yeah. wait. 
It's uh, I saw one one film that Ulrich acted in, and it was amazing. That was the Steven Seagal one, right? <laughs> yeah, the Steve- <laughs> Ulrich is Steven Seagal. That great. one I just did because it was like a, a LARF, and I kind of fit the build of Steven Seagal. So that was sort of why I, I was in that one. It wasn't really, you know, Wait, there's actually whatever. film of you playing a Steven Seagal character? Yeah, I got second place in the contest, too. Oh, that's um, awesome. First place was a PS3. Second place was a book. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. And the only reason why the other one went one because it was like these crazy Australians and they they destroyed a car with a monster truck and a guy like broke his hand during doing the stunt. And so the guy was like, "Well, that's such dedication. We got to give it to them." And I was like, "That's bullshit." And they're like and then they they broke it down. They're like, "Uh my my movie had the best Seagal, the best this, the best like like, you know, homage to the movies the best blah blah blah, all these best but they're like well this guy's got a broken hand so they get the ps3 i was like fuck you that's bullshit i had best what, what Seagal, man. it's called Seagology. it's a book about steven seagal uh it's actually pretty good <laughs> anyways uh, we should just do a whole episode about all of ulrich's past experiences as an actor this is great no no um god what was that that must have been eight years ago gavin maybe at like, least uh yeah i would say probably more like 10 like 10 and so imagine that and then however many years later us working on sets together quickly we put that together that we were i was in his movie years ago (laughs) um but uh but yeah it was really fun to like run into him on set and like and other things and then be like oh gavin and then like you know it was like kind of a fun little little side story our relationship <laughs> the other connections that i'm finding with gavin it's funny because the more the longer we do this podcast and the more guests we talk the more all all these communities start interweaving i see that you worked on ronnie allman's film blood bullet he was on with us oh yeah few, yeah shot a few blood months bullet. ago shot blood bullet and then what else did i see that you're he was he worked on your movie damn it so I, I worked on spirit machine i don't remember <laughs> I was the PA. It was one of my first uh, first times on like a bigger set. Oh wow! Uh, no, I didn't even realize my, that. My big memory is like watching it uh, during the um, the fake seance scene. I'm one of the people yeah. under the chair lifting the chair. <laughs> <laughs> that actually worked. I, I, There's a few things that we tried that day that didn't work, but that was one of the things that actually did. Yeah, work. I'm pretty proud whenever I yeah, see that scene. Sometimes the simple is just putting people under the table and lifting the chair. Oh, awesome. Well, thanks for helping on that. And then also, uh, prep school. Yep. We just, we, yeah. we just talked to Sean. Sean? Yeah. Sean. And then, um, <laughs> <Come on. laughs> I'm like, my brain's not working right now. And then Cardinal X. Yeah, I did a couple days on that as well. Which is, yeah, produced by Richard. Rick, ba- Rick Bosner. Yeah. yeah. Who we just so, had dude, on the show. Yeah. We're like all these little connections happening. Yeah. And then Gavin, you worked on Strange Thing too, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. 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 What What'd you or do no, on no, Strange Thing? I didn't work thing? on Strange Thing. I worked on Brother. Sorry. Oh, Brother. Okay. Yeah. They all kind of blend together a lot. He was. You were yeah. what a, a, a grip or a yeah, I was grip. Best boy grip. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. did a lot of films with Steve, who, who keyed that one. Yeah, Steve's a really cool guy. Um, it was really nice that he. Uh, he came out and I was just, I watched this uh, Amazon series. Uh, I think it's just the pilot called Budding Prospects. And I saw that Steve was the the key uh, grip on that. Yeah, I he's think. blowing up. He's down here doing a feature right now. I was um, trying to hang out with him, but we wound up like 
going to the same house show at different times and uh, just missed him. Oh, wow. Crazy. Um, so this is like kind of a weird like backstory on you. Very strange. But um, okay. <laughs> no, That's, I don't know. I mean, we didn't me like... not worry at all. <laughs> no, I think no. we just we just showed he he started in the Bay Area and he yeah. worked with a bunch of people. He's worked with both of us. <laughs> at you as an actor and as a director so you know he's well connected here but for some reason you decided to move to la why (laughs) um well so this is the the even crazier thing is i'm not i'm kind of trying to put a foot in both cities the plan is just to be able to support myself with bay area work that comes in terms of commercials because they're they can be exciting, but a lot of them aren't. And my plan was to be able to try more weird narrative things down here, where the gear is cheaper. And I'm hoping there's a little bit more of a push for Stranger Things, because mm. it's been a little bit harder to fund some of the weirder stuff up in Bay Area. And I'm just hoping it's a little bit easier to fund weird stuff down here. Mm. And are you talking about funding stuff as a producer, or you just you want to do DP work? I just want to do DP work, but I do like to be involved very early on. When I went to school, I studied producing and writing were actually my main focuses in school. And so there's a lot of love that I have for that process. I just wound up wanting to actually focus on another part. But I still like to look over people's shoulders and like just kind of live vicariously mm-hmm. through them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that. So we talked about you gripping and PAing and whatnot, but like now you're just full-time DP, right? Like that's all yeah. you do? You just shoot? Yeah, it's been the way for a couple of years now and it's going pretty well. It's one of the things that I'm probably most impressed. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things to be impressed by you, but that's the thing that I, I have not yet been able to do is just say, I am only directing or I'm only this. Like, I always just do everything. You know, I don't know if I'll ever stop doing that, if I'll ever just only take on the directing role. I just feel like that's like kind of the nature of the Bay Area is it's just easier if you wear multiple hats, but it's really cool to hear that you're like, no, like I'm not gripping anymore. I'm not key gripping. I'm not whatever. I'm just DPing or shooting. That's pretty awesome. Well, the way I got there was, and I I actually, I really miss gripping. I think it's one of the most interesting and fun jobs on set and works like a part of your brain that a lot of other things don't. I still think about that stuff a lot in terms of pre-production and talking like key grips because it's such a wonderful world to be working in. The main reason I, I made the switch full was because I felt like it was starting to limit my ability to get DP jobs. And when people see you on set doing something else, I felt like they were worrying that I wasn't focused enough on being a cinematographer. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's kind of felt like it actually helped me get more jobs that I wanted. Because like the wearing multiple hats things is super important, and especially in terms of communicating with other departments. It's such an important skill to know where they're coming from and to be able to make their lives easier by not being as headstrong maybe about some of your own problems. Yeah. I mean, it's a collaborative medium. So understanding everyone else's place and helping them out when you can without detriment to your own department is a huge skill to have. Yeah, I, I believe in that strongly too because I've seen enough in other um, environments where people are so disconnected from the other people they're working with. Like they only know the writing side of things. Like they don't understand any of the production or, or that's just one example. But like it's really, really useful to have at least a, some kind of understanding of all the different pieces. So what kind of stuff are you shooting? Are you just kind of everything? Like short, I know obviously short films, um, but like, yeah, what, what kind of stuff are you doing? I mean, pretty much everything. The the bread and butter in the Bay Area is still commercials and tech stuff, but I've been doing a lot of music videos, which I'm trying to get more of just because while a lot of people tire of them pretty fast, I find myself a more like classic storyteller. I like structure. I think it's beautiful. And to work with music video directors and have them really push me out of my comfort zone in terms of like storytelling and using just things that don't necessarily make sense to me right away 
and having to learn them. Uh, that's been really exciting. And of course, the I mean, the key is narrative stuff. I'm, I'm gearing up to do my first feature this summer, and that is hugely exciting. I, I can't wait to work on a story at that level. Are you guys shooting... Well, should we talk about the feature first? Or let's just focus on the whole LA thing, because I don't think we've really gotten into that. So you, you're, you're, you've been in San Francisco your whole life. Yeah. You now have an apartment in LA... But you're going back and forth. But like, what what have you found since you've like like been in LA? I found that the going back and forth thing is is uh, is a very interesting way to try and live life. <laughs> I, I constantly wake up after like driving from one place to the other and check to make sure I actually brought my batteries with me for my camera because hmm. I'm I'm just waiting for the day that that you know hopefully it never happened because <laughs> I'm so panicky about it. But uh, right, yeah, it's I mean the thing I've I've found most is that so there's actually a lot of people who came down here before me from San Francisco that I know and love and. And it's it's great to be reconnecting with all of them. It's also every time I see them and like say hey and hug them and they tell me how much they miss the bay. That's a little bit like of a, a chip away at the future <laughs> that I'm trying to build. But no, so yeah. far I really like it. I'm in Los Feliz and it's a really beautiful neighborhood. And I I found I've so I've been really lucky in that I've been able to work in like Shanghai and London and. Idaho and like all these different places actually aren't that dissimilar to me in a lot of ways. It's just kind of laid out differently. And while mm. San Francisco is probably the most beautiful city I can think of and being able to get around in it is such a joy just because it's small enough to walk around. If you find the right pockets and cities, which is what I tried to do, I've tried to move somewhere in LA where I can still walk around and try and kind of find parts of San Francisco that I loved here. Mm. Nice. So yeah, well, how long have you been in LA so far? Uh, about three months. And I feel like nice. actually being here maybe about a month of it, bounce on the basic, bouncing back and forth. Wow. So how often do you drive back here? It's been as many as like twice in a week. And then sometimes <laughs> I'll be down here for two weeks or up there for two weeks, depending on the shoots I'm doing. Crazy. But you've been staying busy then, obviously, because if you're coming back, you must be working. Yeah. Um, I'm actually coming back up again this Friday for a commercial wow. up there. Sweet, man. So when you decide I'm going to move to L.A., how, I guess what's the I'm wondering what's the first step into getting work in the Los Angeles area? Like, do you you said, you know, some people from San Francisco. Are those the people that are helping you get jobs down there or are you having to start from scratch? And how are you making contacts? So I'm still working on that a little bit, but uh, I've been reaching out to my my contacts from San Francisco and also just resorting to the internet some people are talking about uh i've heard multiple mentions of twitter on your show I'm trying to get used to using that <laughs> oh yeah twitter yeah and uh um, twitter <laughs> yeah and just you know kind of building up the same way i did in san francisco in terms of just smaller connections and reaching back out it's mostly been convincing people that i'm actually here it's hard when i'm bouncing back and forth so much <laughs> mm. so that's the thing i'm working on is it reaching out to people and saying hey can we get together for a cup of coffee and talk or is it hey i'm here in la and i'm ready to work a little bit of both mostly i'm i'm still excited to see a lot of my really good friends have been moving out of san francisco for a while so it's just really good to see them and then yeah also saying like hey i'm also available for work slash need work. What's up, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Are you doing like re reaching out to production companies and that kind of thing and like going around and like finding the, the different companies in LA and introducing yourself or cold calling or cold emailing or have you not made that, that kind of step yet? I've been doing a little bit of that. Um, I only recently updated my reel. So I was kind of like putting a hold on doing that till I had an updated reel, which um, I think you guys have kind of talked about that's probably more of a self-block than anything else, to be honest. A reel is such a personal thing, and it's so hard to get that ready in like your own mind because it's looking back at the things that you have done, not what you can do. Right. But now that that's up, I've been I've been sending it out. Yeah. It's also tough because like a lot of times people will just want 
you to have done the thing that they're trying to hire you for. Like if you don't have that thing that they're looking for, it's hard to convince them sometimes, which I think is really stupid because people should be able to use their imaginations to see right. like <laughs> what you, you're able to do. But it's just, this is not how the industry works for some reason, which I, I don't know. It's really frustrating. Well, there's so much competition. So if, right. if you don't have it on your reel, there's going to be somebody that does. And why not go with the person that's done it already? Because it's, it's boring if, they, if they've already done it. <laughs> They're not going to bring anything interesting to it if they've already done it before. Like you got to need the new fresh perspective, man. I don't know. That's my rant. Um, <laughs> the, the way that I can see it that makes sense, even though it bums me out, is like you're building trust with someone. If they trust that you have the skill to deliver that kind of thing, then they'll trust you to do what they need. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's weird. Like there's very different like skills involved in creating like a big soft soap commercial look. I, I, I did a lot of soap commercials as a as a a grip with like taking out a full truck and huge commercial for huge commercials for soap companies. And then when you look at horror movies, it's a very different kind of working with much less letting darkness breathe and doing hard, you know, it's, they are very different skills and it's, it's a, it's really hard to convince people that you have both. Right. Yeah. But once you get, get to know somebody and you're in with them and they can see what you're capable of, it's much easier for them to take a risk. But I think if it's just based on a reel alone, yeah. I think all you can expect is that you're going to get work based on your reel until they get to know you and until they get to trust you. I mean, it's the same thing. Ulrich with you and probably a lot of people that you work with like even I don't know if Jason's the right comparison but he's never shot music video with a time machine in it right <laughs> but why did why do we trust him to shoot that because you've worked with him multiple times and you're like I trust this dude because he's always done a great job and I know what he's capable of it's not right. on his reel but we know he can do it I just don't really believe in that also I don't think like I need to <laughs> see the exact thing that I want in someone's reel in order to hire them for anything like I, I feel like like I don't know I have like an understanding of like you know what it means to be talented or like what I think is quality work or whatever and I understand that if you've done quality work shooting something that's similar or you're not even similar but just like you can tell that they have the ability to do that and then yeah you're right it is trust like of course it's trust I don't know I think that people imaginations we all have them we should just be using them more. Yeah. I well, think. I've been burned in the past as an agency producer. I've given people chances that didn't have stuff on their reel and convinced people to go with them. And then it didn't work out. So yeah. I, I don't agree that everyone's capable of everything. And I think it, the more you know somebody and the more you know what they're capable of, definitely the easier it is to, to make that leap. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. that. That makes sense. I will say, Auric, you dropped something beautiful, which was imaginations. We all have them. And I do want to see that yeah. on a bumper sticker or something. Yeah. Well, what would the logo be? Like a, a rainbow with like a nice cloud on it or something? <laughs> something like that. Or just like we'll a, a, a brain with like all kinds of cool stuff coming out of it. <laughs> oh, um, I like that one. I don't know. But uh, um, definitely when it comes to convincing people to work with you, I was able, when I was in the Bay Area, and that's what I'm moving away from, and that's the scariest thing, is I had a... a or I have, I hope, a good reputation for working with people and being someone who, as a DP, you're backing up a director and producer and making sure that you're creating the world that they envision. And down here, I, I can't, I don't, when I run into people, they don't immediately like kind of recognize my name and like, oh, I've heard good things about you. And so it'll be a little bit while till I have that again. And that was such a, a comfort net that I was, I'm so, I was so used to it. I'm not going to say I took advantage, like I, I didn't not appreciate it, but I miss it. <laughs> 
working on it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard going to a new, I mean, I've never done it, man. I've stayed here my whole life. I've, uh, haven't left my uh, network before, so I don't, I don't know what that's like. And, uh, I think that's a lot of the reason why I stay here just because I like having my connections and the people I know and being comfortable in a, in a space. So I'm not saying I'm never going to move somewhere else, but I can see that being really difficult. You know? Yeah. The only experience I've had with it is I moved from Sacramento to Fresno in the middle of high school. And so I lost all my friends uh, at the end of my sophomore year and had to make new friends my junior year. So it's kind of similar, just but in the friendship arena. Yeah, I changed schools like it's six hard. times growing up. I, I definitely... Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah, it was... I just It made me not want to be friends with anyone. There was like, well, one I'm year gonna, I just didn't make friends. I was like, I'm going to move again. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and the worst yeah. part was I was right. We moved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But it also teaches you how to say goodbye. Yeah. And that everything's temporary and nothing's permanent. All right. I'm sad now. <laughs> Sorry to change the subject, guys. But uh, no have you uh, gotten your first L.A. job yet as a, as a DP or is that still still in the, in the future? I've shot so far a short film down here. I'm shooting a music video tomorrow, which should be fun. And yeah, I think that's that's it so far. I've done a short film and a music video. Nice. And how did you meet the the directors on those? Did you know them from previous relationships? No, or? those were cold calls. So oh, nice. So that's of you reaching out to them or them reaching out to you. Them like putting it out on a job board and me reaching out. Oh, cool, nice. So I've been scouring job boards, and then I'm going to start doing more direct messaging. And I mean, the thing too is like when you tell people you're moving, a lot of people are very supportive in saying like, "There's these friends that you have to hit up." So I've got a long list of people that I, I need to connect with. Down here based on connections from nice, San man. Francisco, New York. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of ways you can look at it, right? It's like, you know, you always, you obviously have to put food on the table and you don't want to lose your clients from the Bay Area, you know, so you got to be coming back here to do jobs. But on the other hand, it's like if you just didn't ever come back here and you only did all the things that you need to do in LA, like maybe your LA experience would, would rocket faster. Yeah. Probably if you commit to one. It definitely would. But there is something exciting about bouncing between the two and trying to have the best of both worlds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. You can't have your cake and eat it too. I, But I want no, to. No, maybe you can. <laughs> maybe you can. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll get back I don't want to discourage you. I'll get back you. to you when we're a little further in. But uh yeah. I'm hoping to. I always had a plan of like, well, I'll just stay in the Bay Area and then I'll just make connections in LA and then I'll get work in LA and move back and forth. And like, that has never happened. Like, I have not done any jobs in LA. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's ever will happen for me. Maybe it will. But uh, I know lots of people who that's what they do, like who they live here and they travel to LA for work. But yeah, that's just never been part of my career. Yeah. Well, my first time working on LA was uh, on that feature with you, Auric, when they took a select couple of us down and we got to play on the oh, universe yeah. a lot. Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> that was pretty magical. Um, that was, that wasn't my first time working in LA, but that was like the most memorable and the most fun to like shoot on the universal lot for yeah. two days. So fucking cool. Yeah. Whenever I'm, I'm on a back lot is when I feel like I'm, I've made it. Yeah. I remember after shooting that day, a couple of us climbed into my car and just drove around the lot till we got thrown out. <laughs> it was just fun going and visiting all the places, like traveling behind little tour buses. People look at you and they're like, is that person famous? You wave to them. Like, they must be. They must be. <laughs> Why else would they be on the back lot? Did you literally get thrown out or did they ask you to leave eventually? Uh, we got asked if we were lost and we agreed that we were and we were looking for the exit and they showed us out. Okay. So you didn't really <laughs> get thrown out, but uh, that was probably the right move. Did you go look at the Amblin Entertainment Building? Uh, no. 
I mean, I definitely did that. I was like shooting on the Universal backlot in one of the, what do you call those? I guess just a studio, right? Just one of the stages. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Amblin office was really close by and i just walked over there and looked at it as like oh man that's so fucking cool and then also walked into the back to the future set every time i'm on those in those places i'm like man there's history here driving by warner brothers always makes me excited it's like so iconic even from the outside you know the big studios tower but like, is there anything else you want to say about LA, the LA experience, Gavin? I mean, the the, the smallest, like, silliest thing is that I've I think the traffic is worse in San Francisco. But what's really <laughs> yeah. shocking is the parking is worse in LA. Oh wow! I totally thought it was going to be the inverse that the traffic would like just be a nightmare and that I'd finally be able to park in my neighborhood. Yeah, because I, I lived in I live in Davos uh, Triangle and it's just a nightmare to park anywhere up there but it's yeah. even worse down here <laughs> wow that's crazy they're really into valets in LA and I'm I'm like not a valet person I just cannot get behind the valet yeah. um, so I don't know what I'm gonna do if I ever move there just I'm, not I'm ever right use valet <laughs> well there's people now that are living in LA without cars and they just Uber everywhere because I guess Uber is so cheap in LA that because mm. most people have their own cars that it's like a very affordable way to get around so just do that. It's probably cheaper than valet. The whole thing is that you need to have a car if you're in LA, right? Because everything's so far from everything else, yeah. right? No, Uber. I've also had a really weird time with uh, when I was in New York trying to do a sh- I mean, We were shooting out in New York and that was my first time dealing with equipment in New York. And that's a whole... With San Francisco, we've got it easy in terms of being able to park places com- comparably and be able to drive places. But I don't understand how New York producers do it. We were just trying to ferry gear around and people and it was a nightmare. Yeah. Like I, I did one shoot in New York myself and like delivering gear was like a thing. Yeah. And like I didn't even realize that that was a thing, but that's what they do there. And then lots of taxis, I guess, and lifts and Ubers, I imagine. Yeah. They got yeah. the, I remember we tried to do a couple taxis first and they were very angry about trying to put gear in the trunk. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Oh, hilarious. So what's your sense in the amount of work in LA versus the amount of work in San Francisco? Like as you dip into the pool down there, you get like, holy shit, there's so much work down here compared to San Francisco. I, I will say that like it was it's one of those things when both both New York and LA when I when I'd go and visit, you pass like three film sets on the way to wherever you're going. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely out there. But there's also just the sheer volume of people doing it is so different. And I, I didn't take advantage of it when I was in San Francisco being a unique in a unique job place. Like it always felt weird to me. I'd kind of try and downplay it. But up here, it, it just is, you know, everyone seems, seems to work like in this business. So mm-hmm. that's a different, it's a little bit of a different outlook on, on the people out here. Are you feeling the pressure of the competition? A little bit in 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 that, in a weird way. I, I mean, I've, I've never liked the idea of like being super competitive it's such a small industry and, it, and so much of it is built on if you look at like the asc or just sharing information is actually a big part of this industry a lot of our, our the pillars of our great the our greatest cinematographers and directors have always been continuously giving back in terms of knowledge and experience their experience and so i've always looked at it as a very supportive group and the city's big enough that i'm sure there's a lot of people who feel the same way and i'm excited to meet them and hang out with them yeah i mean in san francisco is the same thing where everyone's very supportive of each other and there's enough there is enough work to go around in the bay area that people are always supportive of what other people are doing and it's truly beautiful. right that's not cutthroat and you could call somebody up and say hey have you ever done this before i, I need some advice yeah 
the, the, that's what I like about San Francisco Bay Area a lot is the community feel, you know, and like how everyone is really down to help each other out, you know, like there's, it doesn't feel dog eat dog here, yeah. you know, but yeah, I, I, I know that like the LA scene that there, there are people that are the same way. Cause I've, yeah, I've worked with, you know, crew from LA and you know, they were all normal, nice friendly people that I still keep in touch with, you know? So, I mean, I'm sure it's there too. I'm guessing, and I don't know, cause I've never worked in LA, but I'm guessing because there's so many people in LA that it gets to be more clicky, like a high school. Whereas like San Francisco, it's like almost like everyone in film is in the same club and we all know each other and it's all, it, you know, you could give anyone a call and just say, Hey, I'm a San Francisco filmmaker. And you could probably sit down and have coffee with them in LA. I'm sure there's kind of like different categories of those kind of people. And like, just because you're in LA and you're a working crew member, doesn't mean you can call somebody just because they're also a working crew member in LA. I'm sure it kind of like starts to click off and you know, get more like pockets of like, these are the TV people or these are the TV people working on these specific network. Or, yeah. These are the feature film people that are working on $5 million movies. And these are the feature film people that are working on $100 million movies. And it probably gets like segmented a little bit more than San Francisco does. And it's probably just because of the sheer amount of people down here that it's just, it would be too much yeah. time. And that is something that's really beautiful about the Bay Area. But I'm I'm hoping down here it's not as different. There's a lot of, I'm still hoping that there is still plenty of ways to build bridges between people in, in that right. loving manner. And the people who aren't open to that, then that's that's okay because there's enough people down here who will be yeah be like hey bob richardson can we sit down and have coffee <laughs> sure kid now that you live in la come on over maybe <laughs> aim a little lower you know <laughs> so i think we got a pretty good grasp of your your life in la or the beginnings of your life in la and what that's been like i don't know do you want to talk about this whole filmmaker identity subject and you know all that kind of stuff Sure. What, what is your take on that? You mentioned earlier that like that's part of the reason why you wanted to stop gripping was because you didn't want to be on set and then people to not think of you as a cinematographer and and like be like, oh, is this guy really serious? Like as a cinematographer, he's gripping. Why why is he gripping if he wants to be a cinematographer? You know. Well, so I feel like I actually lost a job to that. Like, and that was kind of the final straw. Oh, was I was shooting a series of commercials for for this company. I had gotten called up for another job to key grip something. And I came out and key gripped a commercial, and I realized it was for the same company. Oh. It was with their other cinematographer. Like, they had a main cinematographer, and I was kind of their other guy mm. that they'd been calling. And so I was like, oh, we've been trying to get you guys to meet for forever. Now you guys finally get to meet. And then I never got another call from them. Oh. So I kind of chose to blame that on that. I think it was just, you know, we happened to be entering a slow season, so it probably wasn't as direct as that. But I took that as kind of a sign. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. And then, so what, are you, what What kind of steps do you do to, to address that? Is it just as simple as only working as a cinematographer or as a shooter, or are there other things that you do to like kind of like cement your filmmaker identity i mean things definitely have to align and there has to be opportunities i remember when i even coming from so i pa'd for a long time on like reality tv and stuff when i was first starting and then i started gripping and i remember like uh i think you guys had already said something about this but i remember i did one day as a pa on one job with the gaffer that the next day production brought me on to grip under mm. and that was like a huge no-no and like i can understand it from the gaffer's perspective but it, it sucked to be in the middle of that right but it's about having that opportunity and then being able to continue in that so at the end of the day i did a good enough job that he invited me to come out again right the same thing happened when i had turned when i started turning down gripping work and and moved into shooting only i had a 
DP friend of mine who had decided he was moving into directing. And so he started passing me work and I started shooting all of his stuff. And so that was just a really great time wise to be able to have like somewhat steady work from a specific source. And he was a DP that I'd been uh, gripping for as well. And so it was nice to be able to kind of use that mindset. I definitely come from cinematography from a lighting background just to continue that evolution in a specific way with those opportunities. That's how I was able to do it. Yeah, that sounds like a really a perfect situation. If this guy who's getting a lot of work is like turning it down to, to direct and then he needs a cinematographer and you're right there and you already have a relationship. That's like, what better situation could you possibly imagine? Like, that's that's awesome. We talked a little bit about like dressing and your identity as a filmmaker, right, Timothy? Or, or is that kind of like a new subject for us? I can't remember if we actually talked about it on the podcast, but I know we had like a running list of things we wanted to talk about at some point, And I think that came up. Yeah. Maybe we did as like a short topic one time, like 10 minutes. Does it go down to like the way that you dress on set and stuff, uh, Gavin? Is that part of like, like, do you dress a certain way as a DP versus when you used to grip or does it matter? Or like, I, I, I don't actually, know. I actually do. Oh, <laughs> I had a friend who was an AC who was extremely concerned about the shoes she was wearing on set. And I always kind of made fun of her for it. But when I went from gripping to... DPing. Uh, there's a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Joe Heath. He's a fantastic key grip oh, and uh, yeah. DP. And yeah, I love Joe. Watching him go from key gripping to DPing was such a transition in his clothing that I, I paid attention to that. <laughs> That's funny. He, uh, he he showed up like super swanky on this music video I worked with him on. It was my first time seeing him dressed that way. And um, I took that as kind of a hint and I try and wear like a nice button, button down shirt when I'm, when I'm uh, DPing. And when I was gripping, it was always a black t-shirt, you know, because you don't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. or if it was a more relaxed shoot i'd wear a hawaiian shirt yeah yeah i remember uh we worked on i think it was remember me uh, yeah i remember you wearing hawaiian shirts a lot <laughs> which is always fun and jovial and nice i mean they're just comfortable you got to keep the airflow going yeah it's it hot out there in pleasant pleasantville Pleasanton? <laughs> pleasantville yeah exactly <laughs> i worry because i i started dressing different at a certain point and I worry like walking on the set and wearing too nice of clothes and like too nice of shoes as a director sends the message that as a director, I'm not going to help you do anything. I'm not going to move a light. I'm not going to like get dirty. I'm not going to sit on the floor. So sometimes I worry that it sends the wrong message if you're wearing like too nice of clothes. Like what? what is it about like the clothing that like changes people's perception of you? And, and do you think that you can get to a point or to, or to a place where it starts sending a bad message? I mean, if you're wearing the wrong, like it's the wrong shoes would be a bad sign. If, if you've got what a What do problem. you mean? Like What's if you're wearing shoes? shoes that are going to like, that you're going to watch someone worry about taking a step off of the pavement into the grass. <laughs> That's where I would start to really worry. But I mean, as long as the understanding is there is that you're on set, you may have worn nicer clothes because to me, it, it reads as like I'm taking this seriously. I'm trying to be professional. Um, but you also, at least for me, I take the the nicer clothes that I'm wearing on set as they're going to get roughed up. They're going to get ruined. And they kind of come down to a business expense at that point. It's just like it's another tool to trade yeah i started like just dressing nicer in general not just for sets but just in you know in my general life because like i usually have shoes that are falling apart and uh you know i've been losing a lot of weight in the last year or so so all my pants and shirts were too big for me so i've been having to get new clothes just to to fit and so i've kind of just like been wearing nicer tighter fitting clothes for personal reasons but then i just wear them on set and then i've been noticing people commenting on it in a positive way just like oh wow or, or my glasses too like i always get 
I have a lot of fancy glasses. <laughs> and it's funny, like, we're going to we're gonna pick on Joe. I know Joe listens to the podcast, too. He worked on the music video that Timothy directed and I produced, and I was wearing new shoes, my brand new glasses that are kind of flashy, I don't know, whatever. And he was just like, oh, man, you look good. Like, like nice, nice get up or whatever. And I was like, ah, oh, I was like trying to justify, like, oh, I just got the shoes. My wife bought them for me, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, just take the compliment. Just shut up. Just take it. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. Like, I shouldn't be downplay like you know downplaying whatever like trying to justify my clothes just just own it you know and so since then now i just own it and uh so i i kind of dress the same like if i'm a producer or like a da- i was like data managing on a, on a job um a few um, a month ago or something and i wore like my nice brand new shoes and a nice button-up shirt and i just remember like t- you know talking to the director and like he had similar shoes to me and we both had blue laces and it was like a whole conversation <laughs> thing and uh i don't know i mean i just don't think it i just don't think it really matters um i mean that's good i don't know i'm relieved I it, to hear this I I just, I feel like it matters, but as long as you own it, it doesn't matter. And no one, I don't think anyone was like, oh, look at the data manager. He's wearing like, you know, he's dressed like a producer. I don't think any, or whatever. I don't think anyone was saying that. (laughs) Yeah. I like Gavin though, what you said about shoes though, because I agree shoes are really important, but it can go the opposite way too. Like your shoes can be too casual for a set. Like for a while I would wear like just canvas converse. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you like get into wet grass, like you're fucked for the rest of the day, your, your feet are wet. So I think a good pair of shoes that will stand up to the elements when you're on a shoot is really important. Yeah. I just got like some um, leather boots that are like waterproof and that work great. I think I'm going to wear them like every shoot now. Yeah. I also think it's like, as long as you're okay getting them dirty, like if, but if you're like wearing nice shoes and you're like not (laughs) stepping in the grass because you want your shoes to stay nice or like you're visibly uh, uh, like, you know, aware of your clothing in that way, then I think it'd be a problem. But if you're just doing your thing and not giving a shit, like, I think you're fine. Right. Yeah, yeah, I got influenced by seeing uh, or reading. I think about David O. Russell has like three suits from J. Crew that he just rotates on set. Yeah, and like I just thought that was like so cool that he dresses nice because he says I just want to show people that I'm taking the job seriously. And I don't think he's like precious about those those suits because J. Crew suits aren't like the most fanciest things out there. I think he just wanted to look good, and so yeah, he dresses in a suit every day. And I think there's a lot of directors that do that how do, how do you guys feel about other crew members wearing suits like if uh, uh <laughs> i'm like i don't know man i mean i i'm personally not like the suit guy like i think if i showed up to wearing a suit to a short film or a film i was directing or whatever that i just don't like what i don't know i just feel don't feel like who the fuck am i to be wearing a, a fucking suit like i'm just like a first time like a, a a baby director like just trying to to get my feet like i I would not like maybe if I like one. I don't know. I just feel like I don't know, man. It's just not for me. Like I'm, I, I respect that decision. I think that's fine, but I just don't feel like wearing a suit is what I would consider appropriate for I me. Mean, yeah, I think what at the same time it's that about it's about who you are individually. And if a, if a director right. or producer feels more comfortable in a suit, which some people do, all power to them. And when you're at that job position, you're not doing as much, you know, physical grunt work. I, I remember uh, I used to, on like smaller sets, sometimes the director would be like wrapping a cable or something. And 
I used to AD too way back in school. And one of my many go-to lines was, don't you have something to direct? Please put down that cable. <laughs> <laughs> but like dressing for the job that you know you have to do is, uh, it, it, that's that's great. As long as you know that like you're going to be a more, not a white glove, you're going to be more of a white glove person and you're just going to own the fact that you're going to stay clean during this job and it works with the type of job you're on, I'm more power to you. That's that's great. Yeah. I guess I always feel guilty because I, I came up doing everything myself. Like I was like a one person crew. And so for me to be on a set and not do any of the physical work, I always feel really uncomfortable. And I feel like I'm taking advantage of people. Like I, I hate that feeling, but I, I guess I guess I just have to get over it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the main thing there is just to remember that they're there to, to free you up to be able to do the higher level thinking and know what's coming up next. And part of your job is to be moving on to the next shot while they are doing that. You have to already be thinking about it and already communicating with the keys is what I found. Com- coming from an AD background is just trying to make everything speedy and the transitions uh, smooth. As a DP, it's hard to do the same thing because I got so used to moving gear. Uh, the hardest thing for me, I remember, was having to leave set before the truck was gone mm, because yeah. I had an early early day the next day. Yeah. And I went to the key and I was like, can I help you guys load the truck? And they're like, no. Go to sleep. You have to be here in the morning. <laughs> Plus, no one wants to pay for your overtime. We're about to hit it. Just go home. <laughs> and that was such a change in like thought process to like, yeah, no, right. you're right. This is my the best thing I can do for this set is not help you push on these carts. It's to go home, get some sleep, come back in the morning and be fresh and ready to talk about the day. I wonder I wonder what people think about this. So I'd love people to write in or, or tweet, tweet at us or whatever and let, let us know what they think about this whole dressing on set thing. Like, do they even care? Like, do people, does it matter to people? Or do they think about it themselves? Like, what what is the whole dressing thing like on your end? I just want to know what people think. I know we're, we're kind of running out of time, but I, I want to talk about your first feature that you're DPing coming up. Like, I want to just know, like, how that project came about. What genre is it? How long have you been working on it? And where are you shooting? Just all, just all the details, man. Yeah, so I, I've... I've been really lucky this year, at least, to be in talks for a couple different features. And the one that they all kind of wanted to shoot in the summer, though. And the one I wound up doing, uh, even in competition against ones that had more money, is just this project that a friend of mine wrote a while ago. So I've had the pleasure of reading several drafts of the script. And it's been absolutely beautiful since the first time I read it. It's called Bring Me an Avocado. Mm. It's it's a it's a drama about a family, like a young family with two 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 young girls and the mom gets shot in a mugging gone extra wrong. And it's about this family trying to hold itself together uh, with the help of close family friends, just kind of to protect the, for the kids. They try not to show any of their grief. And it's just the cracks slowly showing in that mask because they're trying to take them, you know, like let's go to Disneyland now that mom's in a coma. Let's have, you know, pizza every night. And it's just, it's attempting to overcompensate while not showing the grief that's happening to this family. And so it's a, it's a very sad but also kind of fun story because you're watching this very playfulness that is hiding grief and it's a pretty heavy story but what another exciting thing about it just from an indie point of view is it's very producible you know it's it's the pieces are all very human that we're working with yeah and we're shooting up in oh cool nice local yeah yeah why why in oakland (laughs) just curious mostly just the art access to nicer locations and the family is mexican and caucasian and the houses over there that we were able to find reflect the family better mm. but yeah mostly it's what about access. san diego <laughs> the director is out of san francisco okay and there you go. i mean like we've talked about the crew in the bay area is amazing so yeah who is the director i'm just curious uh, maria Maya. oh cool don't know her 
she's she's really cool. She was part of the Film Fatals. I think they changed their name uh, to Cinefem or something. And she's yeah. been a, a very heavily involved in the festival scene in the Bay Area for a long time. Nice, awesome. We need some women filmmakers on here. Yeah, but we need to have her on because we we've we've been talking to like almost nothing but white white males um, <laughs> lately. So, well, I'm I'm super happy to make the introduction. Yeah, please, please do. So, is this is this her first feature? She has another feature that like was her film school. So this is going to be her second feature, but uh, mm. her first real feature, as she likes to say it. But I don't know if that means anything. I think that you know, there's there's a certain proximity, like there's a certain amount of emphasis placed on a first feature that I'm not sure if it's fully earned because you look at people like Gareth. Um, is it Gareth Edwards who did the new Godzilla movie? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And like Monsters was technically his first feature, but he's worked on so many things in different aspects that it's just time and a place. Yeah. It's a little mm-hmm. bit of like a, a buzzy kind of thing, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, the first feature, there's like a lot of weight to it. And I've had talks with other directors before about like the importance of the first feature. And I'm I'm honestly trying to shake that because I feel like if you put so much weight onto your first project, like you might never freaking make it. So just make something <laughs> yeah. and then don't worry about it. Like, like if you're expected for your first feature to be like Reservoir Dogs level quality or something who the fuck do you think you are like you're not gonna be able to make a movie that good on your first try like you need practice you know so i just you i think for me i want the validation that i'm good enough to keep going and so for so it's like that first feature if it is reservoir dogs quality then i'm like yes i am meant to do this but if it's not then i'm like well who am i like why why should i but you can't expect to be that kind of outlier that's like such a great movie and such a special film like if if we all expected our first movies to be as successful or as good as Reservoir Dogs, like, I don't think there'd be any filmmakers. Like, we'd all, everyone would quit after their first movie. I think you, you well, need to I think yourself. a lot of them, I think a lot of them do. I think a lot of <laughs> filmmakers do quit after their first movie, probably for that reason. Like, I, after Spirit Machine, I definitely thought, like, I should just quit because it wasn't as good as I thought it should be. And I'd put so much importance on it. I mean, it's from the time that I started raising money all the way to the very end. I thought it was like a make or break film. Now that I'm, you know, through it and past it, I, I definitely see that that was misguided. But it, it when when you're in the middle of it, you feel like this is the most important thing. And if this doesn't pay off, then I should just end my career now. I mean, I think it's healthy to like recognize it as the most important thing, but it's important to recognize that. You're learning so much, right. and the second movie is going to be so different. <laughs> oh yeah, just in yeah, terms yeah. of like who you are as a person, having gone through that experience. I I do think it's better to be continuously working on storytelling, and if you don't make it at the first one, that's okay as long as you can financially bounce back from it. Which I know that's a big ask sometimes because right. it is a lot of time and yourself that is put into these projects yeah totally but as i think that the second feature is equally valid (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh but i think for that reason we this is kind of her first like actual feature so that is the uh the asterisk next to it i hope she doesn't mind me outing that yeah (laughs) well it's like even as every time we bring up quentin tarantino and reservoir dogs we always have to remind ourselves that wasn't his first feature right yeah he burned some other feature that he made that was theoretically terrible. Like his his practice feature. Yeah, something. his practice feature. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I mean, yeah, I think you just need to make your movies and and uh, learn learn from what you you know the mistakes you make and, and do better on the next one. And it's gonna be really hard. Like as we we've we've had multiple filmmakers on who've uh, made multiple features or directed their first feature and are trying to get their second feature made or whatever. And uh, the hope is you're gonna make your first feature and then you're gonna be you know swept off into this land of being given money and all the opportunities in the world and managers and agents and all that. And that it's very clear that that is not a reality for most people. Most people, it's like you make your first movie and that's like, then you have to hustle your ass off to prove to somebody that you're, that you can get your second movie made or that they should give you money for your second project. Yeah. Ulrich, I don't know if you remember, but, um, and I, I think you were at school at the same time, but Barry Jenkins came and talked at state. Oh yeah. I, I didn't go to that, that talk. Oh, it was, it was heartbreaking and beautiful, but like the main thing that stuck with me was after making Medicine for Melancholy, he had to go work construction to uh, pay his bills. Wow! And he was working construction, and one of his co uh, like one of the other guys, came up to him and said, "Hey, I just saw this really interesting movie. Like the dude's got the same name as you. Have you seen it yet?" And he's like, "Dude, I shot. I thought that's my movie. I directed that." <laughs> he's like, well, "What are you doing working construction?" It's like. Got to pay off those bills I made. I, you know, I stacked up paying, yeah. making that movie. Wow. But I mean, look at him Crazy. now. He's doing fine. <laughs> He's doing pretty good. He made a lot of good choices um, on his, on his second feature. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta put in the time and you gotta figure it out. I mean, that's a really good example. Cause like, you know, how many years was it between Miss and Melancholy and Moonlight? It was like years and years, right? Like five, six years. Yeah. Maybe more. Yeah. I think I might've been up to eight. And it sounds like he wasn't even he wasn't even pushing that film forward. It was his producer that's like, you got to do this. You got to do another film. I'd be curious to know like why he wasn't pushing another one forward. He, like had he just kind of lost the passion and or had lost the belief in himself or what was going on? Well, when we get the him and or his producer on the show, <laughs> then we can ask them. Ooh. Yeah, when's <laughs> yeah. that happening, Ulrich? I don't know. My emails have not been returned so far, um, <laughs> but uh, no one wants to talk to us. Yeah. Sorry, my, Gavin. I mean, my, Gavin like, <laughs> wants to talk to us. No, Gavin's great. But I mean, you know, I've been trying to get like an A-lister on the show and uh, gotten close, but no cigar so far. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I got a few more to write, to write emails to. <laughs> I don't I don't think people like the idea of talking about the struggles. Like, I think people just want to talk about the good times. Like, people don't like to talk about the struggles of, of making movies. Um, they don't well, want to. If we, if we were, if we had as many listeners as WTF believe me they would come on (laughs) i think think the fact that yeah the fact that we're nobody and that we only have like a thousand listeners is really what's discouraging people from being like i'm in they would they would totally come on like i've heard like the movie crypt has like half a million listeners or something and they have filmmakers on there all the time talking about the struggles so Mm. it's possible i think we're just not at that level where we can attract those those types of guests yet but we'll yeah, get there. One of us has to. Oh my God. Did I just, I just sounded so positive. You did sound positive. We'll get positive. there. Wow. We're, we're, sorry, Ulrich. We'll never get there. <laughs> no, Timothy has been saying for a hundred episodes almost that like, yeah, we'll never get past 500 listeners. And uh, if and 500 will be our peak and now we've doubled that. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Timothy, this is a new side to be positive and say like, oh yeah, we'll get there. Oh, I mean, um, the relatability of you guys and I mean, making movies is hard. That's the reason I, I keep listening because it, it, there's something actually that I've been doing with a lot of my director friends is just trying to introduce them to each other because... You know, I, I've been looking at it in terms of taxes, actually, just like taxes is one of the most confusing things I can imagine. And even with like 
hiring somebody. It's really nice to talk to other freelancers because we're all equally screwed and going through the same problems. Yep. <laughs> and filmmaking's the same way. It's just this this very dense nut to crack that so many people are dealing with. And just yeah. knowing that other people are going through it with you is such a comfort that you're not alone. This isn't just you who's having difficulty with it. That yeah. it's yeah. just hard. <laughs> it's true. That's that's exactly why we we do this podcast. Um, one thing before we wrap it up is you know you're theoretically this will come out as episode 99 so we're almost to episode 100 could even come out after episode 100 but anyways the point is your episode is a is like right there around our 100th episode and as somebody who listens to the podcast do you have any advice for us you've heard us struggle you've heard us talk about our feature films for like two years now like are we just are we being stupid in some way that (laughs) is so obvious to outside people or yeah what what do you think do you have anything that you want to say to us no i i mean honestly like I, like I was saying, I think it's beautiful. I've actually, Maria, who's, we're, we're fundraising for that feature. I, I've recommended her, your podcast to her. There you go. <laughs> Simply for that reason, like you guys are actually fulfilling a very important role, I think, for people who are going through similar struggles, you know, with you. The rela- the relatability. And I mean, I think that's the main thing is like maybe, maybe focusing on specific issues and offering solutions is kind of doing more of a recap, maybe might be the only thing mm-hmm. I could recommend. But other than that, honestly, it's just it, it, the podcast is exactly what it needs to be. It's people figuring it out. And I really like the idea that you are inviting on people who figured something out, mm-hmm. but there's always something more to figure out. Oh, yeah. yeah. And also everyone has a different story about how they figured it out. There's not like one answer. There's like a million answers. Yeah. And you could have a bunch of filmmakers that have all figured out, let's say distribution, and all of them will have different stories about how that happened. Yeah. When we bring on guests, we're trying to find this, the unique story within that guest that can, you know, bring something new to, to the conversation that we haven't talked about before or a different perspective or like a focus in on something. Like, and I think we, we've done some good jobs of focusing in with guests and we've done some really bad jobs <laughs> of focusing in on guests. Um, yeah. but we're trying to go forward and like sort of bring a guest on to talk about a specific thing or things and not just like, Oh, how'd you get started in filmmaking? What was your first project? And you know, that whole song and dance. Cause you know, everyone hears that. Let's, let's, let's do something different. And everyone know? has almost the exact same story of like, I started making movies when I was a kid with an eight millimeter camera. That's not that interesting. <laughs> I had yeah. a guidance counselor recommend I take filmmaking class just because he had finally gotten the ability to put freshmen in the course. <laughs> oh, nice. That's funny. <laughs> I didn't find anything more. Uh... The last thing I want to ask about really quickly with your feature is, are, are you involved with the casting at all? Or are, you, are you privy to that? Or are you being left out of that part? I, I got brought on super early for this project. I'm uh, working with two producers and the director. And one of the first things we tried to do was because I started introducing them to other producers. And the first thing we did work on was getting LOIs from some of our actors and reaching out and showing them the script. We reached pretty high at first and not all of them got back to us, which is kind of the case. But we have some really cool, I don't think I'm allowed to say their names, but Mm. we have some really great people attached who've had a lot of success in the indie festival circuit. And uh, we're in the process of getting the letter of intents signed. And that is kind of our, our first push towards being able to show that we have talent behind this project. And if they're interested enough after reading the script that investors hopefully will be as well. Because it's it's an amazing script, but it's going to be a little, I feel like it's a little bit harder to market because it is a really beautiful, very personal story. And it doesn't right. have 
you know, the, the cheaper cells of sex and violence and gore, which I mean, I also love. And I'm glad that those features do get money. But this is a little bit of a more uh, delicate sell. So yeah, having name actors has been huge. And how, how much of the you don't have to say numbers, but have you raised any of the money so far? Or are you basically going to get the LOIs and then that's what's going to kind of bring the money we're, in? We're doing the LOIs first and then we are launching like a smaller... Because the way that Kickstarter and uh, Indiegogo and Seed and Spark uh, work best is kind of an advertising platform to... Right. Because the, the money that you raise on there usually isn't the whole project. And we're definitely doing a right. part of it on there. And then reaching out to private investors as nice. well. And so that's just kind of been a way to organize our our lookbook and show how we're presenting ourselves before reaching out to uh, personal investors. Yeah. I'm, I'm, pr- I don't know. I don't exactly know how I'm going to go about it. I think, uh, for me, I, I'm I'm also trying to do the LOIs first, and then and also partnering with a casting director is is sort of part of my plan. You know, once I get the LOIs in, hopefully from from some key cast, then I can use that to raise money from like my personal network and you know private investors, like and then start to hit benchmarks. Be like, okay, I'm gonna get yeah. this amount of the budget, this amount of the budget, and then when I have a bigger amount of the budget, maybe go out to some of the producers I know and be like, hey, like this is actually a real project now. I have this much money in the bank. Would you want to come on the project? and help me, you know, get things get rolling and then go from there and then just sort of like, you know, hit benchmarks and keep on building and building and building. The part of that that I haven't done is set my dates. And I just feel like I don't want to set my dates until I at least have part of the budget raised. But yeah. it's interesting that you guys already have your date set. Well, we're, we're launching our, our campaign in uh, May. And uh, one thing I am pretty excited about is our, our benchmarks are connected to a series of uh, videos we're going to release called mm. Unlock the Guac, where mm. because this is an avocado-themed movie, all of our key <laughs> personnel will be sharing uh, guacamole recipes. Nice. Mm. And I have never made guacamole before, and I'm oh, going to have easy. to learn in the next month in order to... Uh, you just you just need three ingredients, avocado, lime, and salt. And it's just about making sure that you use the right amounts of each of those. And then everyone has their own, like, twist on it you can add garlic and cilantro and tomatoes cilantro. to it but, cilantro but to is me, key, man cilantro is good but you really just need those three ingredients you can make a really good guacamole with just those three ingredients so just do that okay yeah the tomatoes and the onions are also really important in my mind they're not but, that important they're you not know, that's uh i don't know well, now we can have a debate about the guacamole <laughs> thing um, this is the one yeah. thing I'm passionate about right now is my guacamole recipe. <laughs> one thing that's also kind of cool about just this process right now is because we're working with a cast that's... So Maria went to school in Texas, mm. and so she knows a lot of the South Bias scene. Like That was a way that she met a lot of actors. Oh, cool. And so we've actually got actors coming from New York and San Francisco. And because we're filming like these casting videos separately in order to use for our campaign, I'm actually getting to film people down in L.A., We've got a friend filming people in New York, and I think we had someone filmed down in the, well out of the country. So it's just really interesting to watch that network come together to try and support like a small project out of the Bay Area. Sweet. Well, I don't know. I think this is a pretty good place to wrap up. It feels like Do it. Do you have anything else you want to talk about or share or anything, Gavin? No, thank you guys so much for having me on. Oh, thank you. Thanks for coming on and sharing your story. I love that we're talking to you just three months into the process of moving to LA because I think most people would be like, I'm not ready to talk about it. So like, I love that you came in this early and we're really excited to hear how things go for you yeah. down there. I, I was definitely excited just because, uh, you know, making movies is hard and making moves is hard. I, I <laughs> yeah. think that this is, you know, as as uh, it's a very honest place to be in. I'm, I'm definitely figuring it out. 
Yeah. And coming from being in the Bay Area my entire life, this is a, a big, interesting change. I'm really excited about it. And it's just, I'm in the process right now. So it's exciting. Yeah. Well, change is like the, the scariest things that we do in our lives, but also the most exciting thing. Like if you don't change, you things get pretty stale and there's all, the opportunities don't seem to grow as much as if you just make a leap and, and go do something different. As that's what I found at least. But it's so hard to make that change. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. congratulations and, and good job in making it happen. Yeah, totally. And then where, where can people find your work? Do you have like a website? Are, you, you said you're on Twitter. What's your Twitter? <laughs> Give us all your stuff. Uh, sure. I'm, uh, my website's pretty easy. It's just gavinvmurray.com. V is in Victor or V is in Velasquez if that's actually four. But um, <laughs> Twitter's the same. Instagram's the same. Yeah, I, I get really creative with my, my handles. Gavin V. Murray will get you wherever you need to go. <laughs> nice. And yeah, the website's probably the best way to look at things. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll put posts to like, yeah, your reel, um, all that, the, the website stuff. And then um, maybe we'll dig up that movie that uh, <laughs> that I was in. Uh, yes, we the can. briefcase. I can't <laughs> wait to see this. Well, everyone, <laughs> oh, if you guys want to find us, you can find us using the handle uh, at MMIH podcast on Twitter and Facebook in our website is makingmoviesishard.com. We will have links to all that stuff there. And you can also email us at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. So thank you guys. It's been fun. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Gavin. It was really, really great to have you on, man. And, uh, you know, thanks for supporting the show. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's really cool. And I'm excited for your LA experience. And keep us posted on your feature, man. I want to hear how that goes, especially shooting in Oakland. That just makes me really happy. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Cool. Talk to you guys later. All right, bye.